Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm not just writing history. I am making it. I have the brain of a historian and the clapback of a comedian. You better come with sources because I always check footnotes. Hello, welcome back to Historians on Housewives. I'm Casey. I'm Jessica, Dr. J. Mill, the millionaires. Max Spear, ones and twos. On the ones and the twos. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Peter Pan syndrome and extended adolescence as seen through Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charmed. And we're going to be speaking with Dr. Emily Riles in a minute. Uh, but I kind of want us to set up this episode with uh, a Reiki workshop that Max and I did this past weekend in preparation for this episode because we were thinking about Jax and how the Vanderpump Rules men did Reiki for a bit to try to center themselves and to, you know, help them be more adult and calm and all that sort of stuff. And so we thought, well, let's find out what this whole Reiki thing is about. So it turns out, so Max and I go to a restorative yoga every Wednesday night. And it just so happens that our Wednesday night restorative yoga instructor is also a Reiki master in the local area. Just so happens. In Orange County. And so she was leading a Reiki workshop and she brought another uh, energy healer with her. Her soul sister, she called her. Oh, I love it. I'm so sorry I I missed this. They brought a moon deck so that you could pull your card from the moon deck for, you know, affirmation and guidance through this new um, period because we apparently just had a a new moon. Yeah, we went through a black moon. This is not very scholarly at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was, like I said, we were getting in touch with our inner Vanderpump rules. And so they explained that the Reiki is supposed to be um, healing yourself through light energy, right? So they're working with energy, and so they uh, kind of just put their hands on you, and uh, it's supposed to channel your energy in various ways and I thought a lot about Jax 
as I was laying there and how, you know, every season it's been like I'm working on myself. I'm a changed man and how he went through all of that Reiki and his Reiki uh, master just seemed very patient. <laughs> Although I don't think that... And into him? That too. Uh, you know, I feel like that's the unknown question. Like, did Jackson, the Reiki instructor, actually have an affair? I think there are a lot of unknown questions. <laughs> there are known questions and unknown questions. And some of those knowns are unknowns and some of those unknowns are unknown unknowns about Jacks. But anyway, our Reiki experience was very relaxing. Um, any, any excuse to be propped on pillows and, you know. Did they have the lights off? The lights the off. They had candles with, like, rose petals scattered. And... Um, you know, it was just, it was very relaxing. It's a lot of touching. They would like warm their hands up by putting their hands into a candle or like near a candle. And then they would touch you with like heated hands and move the energy. I, I had like a lot of like belly work. <laughs> they, were, like, <laughs> they were like pushing on my belly and on my chest. Is that where you hold your tension? I guess that's where they sensed it. I apparently hold my tension between my shoulder blades because that's where I got the hands and it's not a massage it's like they just like put their hands there and then they hold them there um so you know it was pleasant um relaxing very relaxing very relaxing well i did not go to the training but i did go to glen ivy and this is a spa out in corona california with 19 pools wow and i had a um they call it a shadara which is allegedly um, they're cleansing and and recharging the third eye. So they massaged my hands, my feet, and then they poured warm oil over my forehead and massaged it through my hair. Wow! To protect, to cleanse and protect my energy. Ooh. It was kind of cool. <laughs> Do you feel cleansed? I felt really actually oily afterwards because <laughs> they definitely say do not submerge your head in any of these pools until you've washed your hair. So, uh. so you know, like you go to Glen Ivy and apparently the, the, the spa is actually the, the, the side note, the footnote, the marginal. It's all about the pools. But they, they know that they put enough oil on you that you will clog their pools if you go wow. and try to swim. So... <laughs> So we all had energy work done yes. in preparation for a discussion about the men on Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm, <laughs> which sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be speaking to Dr. Emily Riles, and she received her PhD from the University of South Florida in Communication Studies. Currently, she is an assistant professor of interdisciplinary studies at California Polytech State University where she teaches classes in masculinity studies, media criticism, and race and ethnicity in popular culture. She describes herself as a feminist media scholar who takes a critical cultural studies approach to the examination of adolescence in popular culture. Her scholarship considers how mediated images of adolescence animate cultural desires and anxieties. Her work has explored representations of race, gender, sexuality, and class in Gossip Girl, the Hunger Games, Vanderpump Rules, Screen Queens, and the emo subculture. Her book, The Culture of Mean, Representing Bullies and Victims in Popular Culture from 2018, is the first sustained feminist critique of the contemporary bullying narrative in media. So we're going to speak to her today about 
bullying on Bravo, about um, LGBT and and feminist representations on the network. And we're going to talk to her about what is going on with these men on Southern Charm and Vanderpump Rules that are always seeming to step in it in the same exact ways over and over and over again. So with that, good morning. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Emily Riles. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. There's nothing I like more than spending hours talking about Bravo. (laughs) Us too. (laughs) Jessica has recently coined the term Bravo-demics. Yes, I love it. You are our official first Bravo-demic using that (laughs) title. (laughs) I like it. I I wear it with pride. Would you like to share your housewife's tagline with us? Sure. My housewife's tagline is, some people think I'm mean. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the big important question, how did you come to Bravo and how does Bravo shape your life as a Bravo-demic? So it was actually interesting to think about how it is that I came to Bravo because at this point it just feels like it's always been a part of my life. Um, But I think it probably just traces back to... um, a very early obsession with reality television. So in 92, uh, MTV premiered the the first season of The Real World, um, which I became an immediate fan of and watched every season of. Uh, And so from that point on, I think I probably just had my eye out for other reality television. But what um, I really like in terms of MTV is that a few years later, they premiered a show called The Challenge. And so on The Challenge, as you might remember, Um, which is still on and I still watch, embarrassingly enough, Uh, they bring back characters who have been on The Real World and at that time who had also been on on Road Rules to compete in this new show. Um, And so this was the first time that I had seen reality TV with returning cast members. Um, And in talking about this to one of my office mates in grad school, he argued that it gave cast members an opportunity to watch themselves to see what sort of behaviors got them the most screen time and then to come back as a bigger and better version of that character that had been developed for them. So what Bravo did that I thought was so genius is exactly this, right? It was really one of the first reality TV shows to have returning cast members and you see um, them just becoming bigger and better versions of these original characters. And so that I always thought was um, really compelling. Well, and it's kind of, her, it's also yeah, amazing that um, if you watch them on the very first season of Orange County, by season yeah. two, their clothes are already changing. It's like they Absolutely. saw themselves on TV and they freaked out and they did spend time in between seasons thinking about how they were going to come back bigger and better. Not just their clothes, right? Their hair, their makeup. I mean, it's just a whole new world. And you see it too, I think, even when, say, a character um, – like Erica Girardi comes on and she really ups the game in terms of what she's wearing during her testimonials. And so all of a sudden in the next season, we see all of the women of Beverly Hills really upping their game. So there's no doubt that they are watching seasons and and tweaking things to get themselves um, more airtime. In terms of uh, Bravo and and my life as a Bravo-demic, The classes that I teach are all grounded in media criticism, uh, popular culture analysis. And so Bravo really is an excellent outlet for that. I think Bravo provides access to far more representation of women and to um, LGBTQ individuals than other networks. So in terms of 
um, getting getting analysis of that kind of representation. Bravo is great for that. Um, I also have done a little bit of publishing on Bravo, particularly Vanderpump Rules. Uh, but more than anything, I have to say that Bravo is oftentimes my escape. So when I am done um, thinking real hard, then it's time to put on Bravo and just sort of melt into to the enjoyment of it. It's interesting because we've had conversations with several people and everyone started by watching Bravo as an escape. And in some ways, they've just morphed into these Bravo-demics, as we call them. So all of us here are on the right track. We are taking our <laughs> downtime and making something of it. And there's no shame in still watching any challenge MTV show. Like we, we, we like to claim our reality TV here. This is a place right. of no judgment. No judgment. I generally like to say there's no shame in my game, but every once in a while I'll say to my students, so is anybody watching Team Mom? And they all look at me like I'm oh, it's <laughs> out incredible. of my You ask students it's what so they're good. watching and they look at us like we're crazy because we're actually watching right. television. I guess we forgot what it's like to be in college <laughs> and actually be studying. So I do it all the time. I was just going to say, I'm glad to know I'm not alone. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about Southern Charm and Vanderpump Rules today. But your top three Bravo celebrities come from other shows. So can you share with us your top Bravo celebrity picks and how you chose them? Yes, this was extremely difficult. Um, I talked to a lot of people about it, thinking that somehow I would be able to come up with consensus. It's fascinating to hear how everyone really has very different thoughts about these characters. Um, I think for me, my first is definitely Portia from Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, she is the most improved housewife of all time. I mean, when you think back of those early seasons when she was married and so conservative and um, really barely engaging to where she is now, it's just incredible. I, I laugh out loud more with her than with anyone else. I also think as time has gone on, she seems to actually have become more authentic. Um, and I use that term loosely because it is reality television, of course, but she really just does seem to be being herself, which is just really enjoyable to watch. Um, I'm also a big fan of Captain Lee from Below Deck. He, there's something wrong about him being on my TV screen, right? This is a channel mainly aimed at women and gay men. Um, and here he is, this sort of exemplar of um, normative masculinity, and yet somehow he also seems right at home. It's, it's just a, a, a conundrum of why it works for me, but it really does. And then uh, my final is Dorinda from Housewives of New York. I think she's the housewife um, that I most relate to. I love to make it nice and to host people, but um, I can also be a mean drunk, uh, which Dorinda I think is fairly famous for. And I'm not always great about taking responsibility for my bad behavior. <laughs> That's a lot of self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that two of your three picks are also Max's mm -hmm. top three. Is that right? Yeah, I love Dorinda. Okay. Love Dorinda okay. and Portia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I have full-blown conversations. I have full-blown text conversations with my best friend using nothing but Dorinda. That's funny. <laughs> I'm pretty She's just amazing. I'm I I mean you brought up this point but I I was saying it this last season it's pretty amazing how Portia has morphed into the group's the group's alpha. I thought that that was yes. pretty clear at the end of the reunion this year yes. that like she has gone from being somebody that was on the outskirts to now like really driving not only the plot but like 
where the other women go are able to go in arguments. I'm wondering. Yeah, what, I would. Sorry, we're <laughs> too many good topics at one time. Yeah. <laughs> I would just say about Portia, I wonder to what extent, because I'm always thinking about the story behind the story. I mean, yeah. she's had a wonderful media team. She's on Dish Nation now. She has her own voice within there. And I'm wondering to what point did that elevated status on Dish Nation also inform how she felt about herself on Housewives and vice versa? Because it's almost like she's, not to play a pun on words, but almost a coming out. She's matured into mm-hmm. full womanhood, but she's also very, I think she's, she's funny to watch. I think some of the things she says are, 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 are great. So... Mm-hmm. I, I endorse Max and Emily's first choice. <laughs> so if we were to circle now into a conversation of like a comparative Southern charm and Vanderpump rules, which mm. I am so thrilled about. Um, <laughs> in my mind, in fact, I keep thinking, why hasn't Shep and Sheena been on dates yet? I think they have. I- I think they've at least hooked up. Yeah. Well, I yeah. feel like this should be, I feel like it would have been, a, should have been a more extended relationship. I don't know. <laughs> they just seem like they might be very perfect for each other. Um, so you talk about psychological theories that indicate that the men on Southern Charm and Vanderpump Rules cling to what's called extended adolescence. Can you explain these theories and what it means that these men are demonstrating big changes to the to the traditional milestones and the transition between adolescence and adulthood. Is this a unique phenomenon to the men on these shows or is it becoming a more broad phenomenon? I like to introduce these ideas in my scholarship and in my classroom as a a broader sort of aspect in terms of social construction, right? So the idea that our taken-for-granted ideas, the things that we see as sort of facts are actually constructed by us during this particular time period and in this particular context. So, for instance, many take it for fact that there are two and only two biological sexes. Um, But, of course, if we look back at uh, scientific and medical theories from the past, we see that hasn't always been the case. And if we look to other cultures today, we learn that other cultures don't consider these, these two sexes to be a fact, right? So age, I think, is a really interesting way, a complex way to get at these ideas of social construction. Um, so, for instance, it really wasn't all that long ago when one went straight from being a child to being an adult. And it wasn't until the early 1900s when G. Stan- Stan- Stanley Hall so- so-called discovered adolescence. So he attributed the new stage to social changes at the turn of the 20th century, right? Child labor laws kept children under 16 out of the workforce, and universal education laws kept them in secondary school. What's also interesting is this is the time where we started to get nervous about this age group, and this kind of hysteria can certainly be traced to today. But he suggested that adolescents during this stage were more prone to being influenced by media and their peers. Um, and so then, boom, right, adolescence was invented. So Eric Erickson gives us this theory of human development where he identifies stages of life. And he identified adolescence as 12 to 18, and then young adulthood as 18 to 35, and middle adulthood as 35 to 55. So what that would mean is that the majority of the men on Southern Charm and Vanderpump Rules are, in fact, in young or, in some cases, middle adulthood. And yet, Um, Based on what we're watching, I think they're far more in line with what we're talking about in terms of this extended adolescence. So 
there are supposedly these five traditional milestones that mark the entrance into adulthood, leaving home, becoming financially independent, completing school, marrying, and starting a family. There's actually a psychology professor uh, by the name of Arnett who is leading this movement to view the 20s now as a distinct life stage, right? Adding in a new life stage that he calls emerging adulthood or extended adolescence. This period is largely marked uh, these are my words, not his, but by a lack of commitment. So no interest in settling down or having children, um, jumping from job to job and not sort of settling into a career and even pursuing more education in order to avoid all of these things. And I think you can see pretty clearly that this is what's happening with the men on these shows. But what I also think these shows give us a clear example of is that this is, again, a socially constructed idea that we're sort of um, making excuses almost for what's happening right now in our particular culture. Because what we see on these shows is that while there are some people, men and women, who are clearly leaning into these ideas of extended adolescence, there are also men and women who are not, right, who seem to be following a more normative kind of life process. Um, and so one of the things I'm, I'm always wondering is what is it that we like about seeing people existing in this extended adolescence, right? It's getting a lot of airtime. So, for example, on Southern Charm, we don't see um, Cam's husband, for example, who seems to have a very legitimate job and is raising a very sort of heteronormative family, um, or even Naomi's new boyfriend, Matul, who's a doctor, right? They don't get the kind of airtime that, say, Shep and Whitney do, um, which would indicate that we're far more fascinated by watching this extended adolescence than we are in sort of more typical maturation processes. So I have a question. Yeah. It came out, actually, Lance Bass apparently leaked the story at Jackson Brittany's wedding that uh, we only think we know that Tom and Katie are married, but Tom and Katie never actually filed their marriage certificate. So in fact, they went through that whole rigmarole rigmarole and are not married at all. And um, so this would, in fact, potentially be one of those markers in that traditional transition between adolescence and adulthood. But is this one of these moments where we see an extended adolescence even within their relationship? I had not heard that gossip. That is very interesting. Um, <laughs> he said it was wow. going to be a big plot point on the new season. And then he was oh, like, oh, I okay. thought everybody knew. I didn't realize I was spilling it. Oh, and similarly, um, on The Hills, because they're bringing The Hills back, um, yeah. oh, yes. Brody is married to somebody on that show. Named Caitlin. Yeah. Caitlin. That's how much I watched. Ironic. That show. Aren't they yeah. divorcing? <laughs> well, they're divorcing, but they were never officially married. They just oh. went through the ceremony. Fascinating. So I, I, you know, That's these things happen in threes. So I'm waiting for like the third, maybe like Kim and Kanye never really got married. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just make sure well, that Jackson and Brittany filed that paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so they're official. Yeah. I mean, there's, it, I don't know what to say about that. I'm, I'm sort of, so, so Brady and Caitlin are interesting because they didn't get married on the show. Right. So why go through all that rigmarole? I guess maybe just for the party of it all. Well, you know, this, um, not that I've watched, <laughs> not that I've watched, but you should also know that one of the one of the cast members this year they brought on Max was Brandon Lee Thomas. Yes. As in 
I mean, oh. Brandon Thomas Lee. Sorry, Brandon oh. Thomas Lee is in Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson's son. Yeah. So I have been watching, but the interesting thing about Brody, now that I know that they're not really married, is he w- had the affect of a married man. He stopped socializing. He didn't go out with Spencer. Um, Spencer's very brokenhearted about it. He didn't really drink and, and, and just kind of carry on the way he used to because he would come home to his wife, Caitlin. And so it's a whole plot around how Brody's grown up. Now we find out Brody wasn't even married, so I just don't know what to do with this now. We're all screwed up on who's grown up, who who's isn't. Who's grown up, who isn't. Yeah. Um, so, just to get well, sidetracked. And also, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> but also the idea that uh, there's this performative nature of growing up, right? Like, we don't actually want to grow up, but we know that we should be getting married at this point, so we'll go ahead and perform that, and but not really follow through on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to continue to sideline this on the hills, but I've been waiting to talk to someone about it. <laughs> but that's the entire kind of premise is they've all grown up. They've ha- all had children and the relationships are supposed to be different. But um, Adriana is still chasing after um, Justin. What's his name? Justin. Justin Bobby. Justin Bobby. <laughs> so I'm but I'm going to get this back on track. Well, and I mean, if we bring this back to a Vanderpump Rules example, the cast is buying homes, they're, yeah. you know, engaged, getting married, but in so many ways, nothing has actually changed since the show aired. Well, I've been thinking about this because it does seem like they're they're growing up in some ways, although to be clear, I mean, Dax is 40 at this point, right? So they, they should think. be growing up a little, right, right? <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting that, so one of the things about extended adolescence is that you um, don't have to necessarily be financially responsible because you have parents. Um, the presumption is you have parents who are helping take care of you. And I think what's kind of fascinating about Vanderpump Rules is it's not their parents, but it's it's Andy Cohen, it's Lisa Vanderpump who are financially taking care of them, right? They're becoming adults because they're doing reality television. There, there's nothing else that's really happening there, right? At least with a lot of the housewives, they they take advantage of the opportunities that they have and they start businesses, or, right? There doesn't seem to be any of that happening on Vanderpump Rules. There's- maybe Maymaw's beer cheese, maybe. Right. <laughs> Where right. would um, Lala fit into that? Because now she's marrying Randall. I actually think she should be the next Beverly Hills housewife, frankly. Oh, like, it would be fascinating. Yeah, they should do like a series jump, just in case somebody at Bravo is listening. I have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like where would Lala fit into this? Because she is not moving into the same cul-de-sac with them. She's moving to, she lives with Randall um, Emmett. I mean, but Randall's also kind of taking care of her, right? Isn't the big movie role yeah. she's been getting mm-hmm. roles in Randall's movies? Yep. She's the only person that I know that has fillers that does a 40s period piece with Al Pacino. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, period I think specific. I think that's right that, that Randall has in many ways just kind of become her her parent, right? She's just, she's never had to very, to really be financially independent. Um, I also, I, I'm, I'll believe it when I see it in terms of them actually getting married. It just seems like a lot of back and forth on that one. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, 
Shep goes on to, Shep has his own definition for um, extended adolescence that he gives during the, I believe it's the season one reunion. Mm -hmm. Shep, do you think your passion for leisure uh, has anything to do with why you can't settle down? Yeah, of course. I'd yeah. love to be a free bird like Leonard Skinner sang about. <laughs> I want to be able to go to Nicaragua on a moment's notice and surf. I want to go hunting in Africa. I want to go bird shooting in England. Maybe I, I should mean, retract that statement. I don't want to ask permission I don't for think anything. everybody is meant to be married. Maybe he's just... Who's going to get married Maybe he's bird shooting. Maybe. I don't like asking permission for anything. So that's my, my what do you think? answer. But do you yearn for like a partnership? No, yeah. I yearn for okay. freedom. Like William Wallace. There you go. Um, Lisa H. from Fraser, Michigan said, did it bother you when Whitney was talking to his friend and uh, he was saying he wouldn't open a restaurant with you? I've been kind of working with uh, Shep. I think he met the last yeah, time. Yeah, I, I, I would be afraid to, to do a hot dog stand with Shep. <laughs> and then I opened a hot dog stand with my friends. Yeah. Literally, oh, it, was, it was so ironic and stupid. <laughs> Where'd you go to college? I went to the University of Georgia undergrad and Vanderbilt Business School. Wow, you went to Vanderbilt Business School? <laughs> yeah, so I'm overeducated, undermotivated. <laughs> <laughs> Who pays your bills? Your parents? Uh, I have a couple funds out there. People send me checks every now and then. It's kind of nice. <laughs> you have a couple funds? Is that what you said? That's correct. It's like, yeah. Jenna's, yeah. It's like Jenna's investments. No, yeah. it's not like That's that. That's how we hang out all the it's time. It's your family. I mean, has the show made your family say, Sheppy? You got it. No, I've been so fortunate, and I, I mean, I could get into it, really, if you want to, like, sit down with uh, a spreadsheet and tell you all about it, but you don't want to hear that. Oh, actually, at some point, I would like to hear that. Oh, okay, all do right. Now, Let's but, do it over yeah. lunch. Yeah, great. Okay. Do you agree with his definition? So I think what's really sort of fascinating about this entire first season of Southern Charm is that the show is really defining extended adolescence, right? So the very first episode, the series premiere, is actually called Peter Pan Syndrome. So it sets up right from the beginning that men in the South don't want to grow up. Um, and then we get these ongoing narratives of men who don't want to grow up, right? The, um, the One of the lost boys grows up as like one of the final episodes, and it's Thomas. Uh, finally having a child in his 50s. So, uh, but one of the things that, that when people talk about extended adolescence is they argue that um, the, that these generations have been raised in a culture that promises instant gratification. And so the idea of working hard for future rewards doesn't resonate in the same way. And I think we absolutely see that with Chef. He talks about um, being overeducated and under-motivated, which I think is just puts the stamp on this idea entirely right so he has an mba from vanderbilt um that he is doing literally nothing with he's running away from a nine to five he's running away from marriage um he talks about yearning for freedom so i think he absolutely of course without realizing it really does encapsulate these ideas of extended adolescence well and shep also is always talking about his quote-unquote mailbox money that yeah. he and austin <laughs> get so they really don't have to do anything with their life if they don't want to, other than continue to hit up the bars at all hours of the day. But this becomes one of those things that they can attack Craig over, that, Craig, you don't actually have the luxury of being as lazy as us. Where is your mailbox money? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, when Arnett is talking about, like, we this, this is a new distinct life stage. We need to sort of get it on the book. What gets left out of that conversation is how, 
there is a very small number of people who can actually experience this lifestyle, right? And I think that's what gets really driven home by by um, Shep and certainly by Whitney that they have this kind of money that allows them to live this way. You can have an extended adolescence if you don't have to worry about money. There's a point this season where um, all the women are having a uh, dinner with Patricia and Chelsea says like I, I not working was not an option for me um, because she grew up quite poor right and so um, what you get I think with with Chef in particular is this dream supposedly this dream lifestyle certainly that Craig is very um, jealous of but that is only a result of all the hard work that um, well I was going to say that his his family historically did but perhaps that the the slaves that they owned in. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but right. It's because of this old money that he's able to live this lifestyle. So you teach a cl- course on masculinity studies and you use a clip from um, season one, the season one premiere of Southern charm to highlight this theme of men who don't want to grow up. My name is Shepard Rose and I'm from Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. I come from an old South Carolina family called the Boykin family. In the 1700s, my family founded the town of Boykin, South Carolina. So they've been around since the beginning of the country. Oh! Yeehaw! Jester's dead! The state dog of South Carolina is named after my family, the Boykin Spaniel. Spaniels in general are annoying, hyper, and don't listen to anybody. So (laughs) I guess I'm sort of like that too. Shep's family is basically Southern royalty, but you couldn't tell it looking at him. I'm okay! I got my business degree at Vanderbilt, and I just decided that I didn't want to do the nine to five thing. Leisure is what I'm passionate about. Everybody bring their wallet, because I'm not playing if it's not for money. Let's do it. My brother is married, and my sister has two kids, but I couldn't settle down right now because there's nothing to settle down to. What is happening in this clip? So um, this clip, I think I like especially because I think it it hits on what we've just been talking about and the fact that this new life stage cannot just be experienced by all, um, that you have to have these other means of support. And so right from the beginning of Southern Charm and specifically the way in which Chef is introduced to us, he is introduced through this vignette of basically what he does for fun. So he's sound asleep in bed and the surf report is going off. We learned that he likes to surf, right? They show him skeet shooting. They show him playing poker. Um, They show him riding a mechanical bull. It's just all fun. It's all smiles. And of course, that's part of what I think makes Shep an interesting character because he does seem to just be always having such a good time, right? Who doesn't want to participate in that? Who doesn't want to be a part of that? As part of this vignette, you also get Austin talking about Shep's family, that they are um, Charleston royalty, right? Then you get Shep talking about having this MBA from Vanderbilt. And so you get this juxtaposition of he's having fun, but here's why he's able to do that. Um, This coming uh, quarter in in my classes, I plan to sort of show that clip, but then compare it to um, a, a season six clip, a clip from this season where you have Madison and Chelsea talking about opening a business together. Um, they want to open a salon together. They're talking about a business plan, right? It's a very clear juxtaposition.
position. Madison, of course, being a single mother, um, has responsibilities that Shep does not. Um, but they also are talking about uh, Madison's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Austin, and the fact that they'll get their salon open before he gets this beer on the shelf, right? Because he can't seem to get together this this beer business that he's trying to start. Um, but Madison also talks about paying her taxes at some point earlier in the season. Um, Craig's assistant, I guess, um, says he needs to fill out a W-9 form. He doesn't know what that is, right? So you get this like ongoing juxtaposition of the ways in which the men are experiencing this extended adolescence and the women seem to not be. And I think that is far more cemented on Southern Charm than it is on other shows like Vanderpump Rules, where I think the women are kind of engaging in some of these same behaviors. I don't know if that's um, possibly because we're talking about the South. Um, and women are raised under more normative constraints in terms of gender roles or um, uh, or that they just happen to cast a group of women this way. But I do think it's an interesting juxtaposition that's happening. I mean, even Naomi's businesses are taking off while all the boys are sort of floundering. It's a very clear juxtaposition that's happening. So we're going to get into this difference between um, the men and the women on Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm and this issue of extended adolescence in a second. But first, we're going to have our Bonko Party game break. (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to play a game that I have titled, Who Probably Did It? I'm going to read you uh, four controversies. Uh, from a mix of Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm. And the goal is for the three of you to reach consensus. If someone doesn't agree, uh, you know, you got to convince them to your side. So we can't move on until we've had panel consensus. Does this make sense? This sounds like this sounds like a group project in class, and I expect (laughs) to go just as well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and of course, I, I did probably in um, quotations, right? It's all alleged, right. we think, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so first up, do we think that Tom Sandoval might have slept with Miami girl in Las Vegas? I, I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't come from Miami at the whims of Kristen Doty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I just think the, those guys when they were in Vegas were were sticking in whatever they could. Yeah, <laughs> who was, who yeah. did they not interact with? Versus exactly. Who did they interact with? Do we think that maybe Tom Sandoval and Ariana have some sort of agreement to kind of keep some of this personal scandal issue out of the show these days? Mm. That maybe they some of this stuff still goes on, but they deal with it privately. Definitely. I would think so. That would be the smart thing to do. I don't know. Yeah, if that, that's an interesting relationship. I think there's all sorts of maybe things happening potentially behind the scenes because they don't seem to be on the same page about anything. Um, and yet they're still together. So I, I also just uh, heard the rumor that, that uh, this part of the storyline this coming season is going to be that Tom and, and Billy slept together. Oh, whoa. whoa. Yeah, this is juicy. I have not heard this yet. Yeah. Whoa. whoa. 
that whoa we need our own <laughs> we need our own bravo demic like gossip line like maybe we need to have a gossip column on the web page because whoa <laughs> that i it just took me aback that's that that's gonna make for a fascinating new season between tom and katie not being married and billy Lee leaving but you know the potential affair with tom sandoval right are you guys okay? So I feel like mm. we did a good consensus with question one. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna <laughs> right. come to an argument. <laughs> what is the answer? Uh, well, it's, it's up to you, right? You're you are the professional expert Bravo Demic panel weighing in on these who probably did it. Oh, I wasn't aware that that was the role I was playing. Yes, yes. we're the <laughs> panelist. Okay. <laughs> yes, we think it happened. Okay. So question two: Did Shep give Danny chlamydia? Without question. I, yeah, I agree. Oh, I didn't know. I, I really? wasn't. Yeah, I uh, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> if I'm like really going to think about it. And like the scene with Austin afterwards being like, yeah, he definitely told me that. Yeah. Yeah. There probably. was nothing from um, Danny's camp saying this did not happen. Oh, yeah. No. There was an article. Oh, there was. Yeah, there were articles. So I didn't do my Googling right <laughs> after the show, clearly. <laughs> No, actually what it is, is that um, <laughs> I read all of my articles now between about 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning because that's when like pregnancy wakes me up and I can't sleep. So all I do is I, I catch up on on Bravo articles. This is why the, the Tom Sandoval and Billy Lee thing uh, really threw me off because I have yet to see this article. But I, it's like I read articles over and over again to make sure I haven't missed Anything. So what does what does her people say? Because I have a whole thought on this now that I know this. Danny says it absolutely never happened. That she can can't even stand to be in the same room with Austin and Madison. That seeing them at the reunion is going to be very difficult for her because once they've put this accusation out there, you can never take it back. People are always going to look at her like that girl that caught chlamydia from Shep. But never Shep gives chlamydia, right? Because no one's really no one's no one is. Um, surprised that Shep might have passed on an STD. Like, that's not what yeah. the, the, the tension is. Right. The tension is just, like, he wouldn't have passed an STD to me. I don't get STDs. I, and, and, like, in her camp is even saying that, like, she's never had an STD. She's always tested clean. So she is, like, apparently super traumatized about the whole thing. I mean, she... Yeah, I kind of have a problem. I agree with her, and I also think, like... I'm not exactly sure, like, why the onus is put on her to defend whether or not she had chlamydia, but, like, Shep is just, like, we all just assume he had chlamydia, and then that's the end of it. Like, he, his quote-unquote good name is not anywhere near this. Well, isn't that the the definition kind of of extended adolescence, right? He can just be out there not using protection, not being responsible, and there you have it. So I'm wondering. Yeah, we're all okay with like, yeah. or not okay with it, but like we accept that as, as normal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he says in the in the first season uh, reunion that he doesn't wear condoms. I mean, he's very open about this. So I think is anyone shocked about STDs? I assume he's riddled with them. I guess I just <laughs> <laughs> riddled. <laughs> I guess I just didn't know. I mean. Why, what would be the reason for Madison to bring Danny into it? Like the slam is that, is against Shep, right? That's who she's arguing with. So what would be the value? I feel like she was upset with 
Danny because Madison had been trying to solicit Danny's boyfriend, Gentry. Uh, but she was still with Austin, mm-hmm. but like she was in that kind of I'm getting back at Austin for being caught with his pants down with multiple women at oh, the house. Oh, this was a mean girl. Yeah, so I f- I'm not sure. Oh, yes. if, I'm not I mean, I think Shep totally gave someone chlamydia. I'm not sure if he necessarily gave Danny chlamydia. Okay. And, okay. But, but My, so I don't know. I, I'm like still, I'm not sure how I weigh in on this, but I'm not one of the panel experts. That's you. <laughs> well, I guess what I would say is, yes, I'm sure he is riddled with many things, allegedly. <laughs> but also what's interesting in this entire conversation or non-conversation about the STD, it's like, it's 2019, maybe 2018 when this taped. Chlamydia is one of the least damaging things that can happen. Right. Right. There's no Uh kind of HIV AIDS awareness conversation. This in some ways is so like 1980s, like pre 1980s. You only got an STD. Wow. You're really, really lucky. I completely agree with you. I was thinking that same thing as as Danny's camp is coming out about this. Like, just let it go. Is this really that big of a deal? But I wonder if, again, this comes down to location. So, for example, if Somebody was to say, oh, to Jack, oh, I heard you gave Kristen chlamydia. I could feel like the two of them would be like, yeah, so. Duh. And that would be the end of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Is there something in particular about this kind of Southern conservative culture that is blowing this up in a way that wouldn't happen in other shows? I mean, it's the same reason why they were blowing up them smoking weed in Colorado. Like, that became, yeah. like, a huge taboo to Austin's father and, like... Even people who were on the trip, it was turned into a Ted Boo. Outside of even the whole controversy with Catherine, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think those two, like STDs and like recreational drug use, are very much right. a part of the same sort of um, wellspring of taboo. Right. This is show. the this is the Bible Belt South. I mean, when we think back mm-hmm. to Phaedra on Atlanta, not really disclosing when she actually got pregnant with Mr. President. Because her mother's a pastor. I mean, this is within mm-hmm. the entire conversation about Southern values, um, Southern honor and dishonor, if you will. So I think your panel of experts say Ship gave someone chlamydia. Someone yeah. at some time. <laughs> Maybe multiple someone. Right. Yeah, probably. Multiple sometimes. As I've learned from Wendy Williams, we have to say allegedly so we oh. don't get we don't uh-huh. get um, sued. I mean, good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> So, okay, we ready for our third panel weigh-in? Mm-hmm. Sure. Did Patricia tell Ashley what to think and say about Catherine? To catch anybody up to speed who, who needs it for our listeners, um, Ashley was Thomas Ravenel's new girlfriend, uh, not really together uh, with all of his time in prison and the... Um, trial he's facing um but ashley says that she was absolutely vile to Catherine a season ago because patricia essentially put all of that in her head and essentially told her what to say and think about Catherine. so now she's kind of trying to get back into everybody's good graces using patricia as her scapegoat and uh, she famously called Catherine uh the egg donor to thomas's mm-hmm. kids I think certainly that she was being fed a very similar narrative from Whitney and from Patricia and from Thomas. Um, I don't, the fact that she refuses to take any responsibility is just so unnerving. It's, it's, nobody tells you what to do. You're a grown woman. You're a nurse. Um, But yeah, do I think she was being fed that narrative? Absolutely. Yeah. 
I I mean I agree with that, but like I I kind of also think Thomas had more to do with that than anything Patricia could have said, and that also sounds to me like she is trying to drive a wedge between Patricia and um, uh, Catherine now, mm-hmm. um, uh. because it's advantageous for her to do that now that they're so close, and her and and um, Patricia and Thomas are on the outs because of all that terrible shit. He said to her, like, so it makes sense to me that, like, part of her MO is to drive a wedge or attempt to drive a wedge between them. Mm -hmm. But I agree. Like, Patricia probably said some shit. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Could it have come from Thomas and not Patricia? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's way more likely. Right. This is the funny thing about um, when men gossip or do not gossip. Um, the chlamydia case being the exception. Men don't necessarily know how to gossip, but because women do, sometimes we know how to deflect or reappropriate. I mean, men just always reveal themselves. So I think anything's possible. Uh, we just haven't we just haven't pursued that yet. So sure. Is that our consensus? Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's not much of a fight with this. Like, <laughs> it's very agreeable. How about this one? Did Brittany and Kristen hook up? And this and this question I find interesting, right? Is is the Vanderpump Rules cast is always talking about how um, supportive of the LGBT community they are, but there's yeah. also always this twinge of um, homophobia that just never goes away, right? That it's celeb- it's like it was both taboo but more celebratory that Lala and Ariana. Um, hooked up in the backseat of Tom Sandoval's new car, but, you know, it was so very, um, you know, taboo for Brittany that this could have even have been a rumor. So do we think it happened or didn't it? Totally happened. Yeah, totally exactly. happened. <laughs> Without question. I, I just think, like, her family would have flipped their lid if she didn't Well, you've got that, the deny. Southern conservatism creeping in again, right? Yep, yep. I mean, there was yeah, the whole scandal I, with the the priest at their wedding who was, you know, a really well-known homophobe. Um, yeah. What were you going to say? Um, oh, I think it went out of my... Oh, I think that one of the ways in which we see the women on Vanderpump Rules sort of experiencing this extended adolescence is very much living like they're still in college. And so this sense of, like, girls hooking up with girls because it's fun or sexy for men, right? I think that's, there, there seems, that seems to be an ongoing kind of trend with them. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. And to what extent are they, were they into each other or, or were they doing this as some kind of voyeuristic, um, you know, situation? But now it's got to be private. I mean, I, I, I think we're going to lean on con- the conservatism of the parental unit has muted any kind of official answer on this question. That's what I think. Okay. Well, that wraps up our Bonko party. Except. Oh. Except. Sorry. That 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 was the wrong. No, that is perfect. (laughs) That is perfect because I have a consensus question. I'm going to now turn it on the panel um, based on Real Housewives of Potomac last night. Only because I just thought of it. Okay. So the rumor on the internet now is that Katie, if you've been paying attention to Katie's horrible wigs this season, (laughs) people are wondering if she is actually going through some kind of substance abuse problem. 
Have Ooh. you all heard this? No. Okay, I guess we all alleged. On it. Yeah, it's all alleged, and it's just as per the Twitters last night. There's no articles on it. I mean, couldn't it also be said, though, that most of the characters on the Bravo shows are dealing with some sort of substance abuse problem? Oh, I think you could say that. that I mean, I mean, this is, I almost put this question in our Bunko Party panel, but um, it, it's kind of one of those rumors that perhaps what people are so upset with James Kennedy about is that he might have gotten Tom Schwartz hooked on hard drugs. So it was, like, alleged that people thought that they could see um, – what particular drug when they were in Mexico that like that's why Tom was like really cleaning up his room really fast his cameras were oh coming. coke coke that's what it was the so because right, that's it, it's not about the pasta exactly <laughs> right right so that's like one of those that it's like kind of widely talked about is a potential scandal uh not sure if I have a good answer for any of that or if the panel does. But so I almost included that one. But but just this thought that I think so many of these people are dealing with substance abuse issues in some form. Oh, I think substance abuse issues. I think um, body images and, you know, we've had a series of eating disorders on various shows. I think there's a lot of markers. Um, I just, you know, wanted to bring it to the Twitter conversation last night, seeing if maybe we can be ahead of the trend by the time it hits the gossip <laughs> I don't necessarily think she's on the actual word was crackhead because her wig is so challenged. Oh, wow. I actually think that it's just, you know, some people have money for uh, wigologists and some people do not. So, but I thought I'd throw that out there. Okay. Back to the real interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Katie's very wealthy, isn't she? She would have the money for the wigologist. That's part of what I think is so jarring about it. Well, I have nothing to say other than either either that's part of the deliberate storyline that they're having her walk out there looking a mess or maybe she's going to come out with a wig line. You always have to think about product placement. Uh, with Bravo, I always yeah. have to think about product placement. What is the storyline and what are, the, what are we going to be sold? When are we going to get the toaster? When are we going to get the toaster? <laughs> so... Back to the serious questions. I mean, they're all serious questions. I've, I think Bravo is the serious part of my day. <laughs> okay. So are the factors creating extended adolescence the same for the Southern Charm and Vanderpump Rules men? And what role does the chance of celebrity potentially play? With Vanderpump Rules, I don't think any of them. Well, maybe Stassi, right? Stassi's parents were paying for her apartment while she was in school. She talked in the first season about considering getting a uh, master's degree so that her parents will continue to pay for her rent. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it doesn't seem like Vanderpump Rules um, folks are coming from any sort of significant family money. Um, and so I think where their extended adolescence really gets hung up, and this is why we see it, I think, in both the men and the women, is that it seems to be grounded in this desire, this need for celebrity. So they're not going to commit to anything else until they get famous. Julian, our friends back in the Midwest, they're set in their careers with their house and their white picket fence. And, you know, for us, we're just, we're still working toward all of that. So we both work at Sir, but what we really want to do is be working actors. Why don't you just use mine? Your hairspray sucks, babe. I need more strength than that. Just use the other hairspray or use my This hairspray shampoo. sucks, babe. The other one, it sucks. Tom, it's hairspray. I promise you'll be okay. No, it sucks, babe. I promise it's not the end of the world. Anything that says touchable and stylable is garbage. I need something God. with some hold, babe. Something's such a girl. 
five years with Kristen, I would assume we'd probably be married and maybe have one or two kids. Yeah, this stuff's pointless. <sighs> I'm over it. I think your hair looks just fabulous. So. I think it sucks, actually. Okay, your hair sucks. Thanks. In five years, I want to be known for the work that I do. Will you please unplug the flat iron so you don't burn the house down? If fame comes along with it, that would be really cool. <laughs> I feel like Ricky Martin right now. You, you actually that sucks. And, and that's a very different thing from what we're seeing on Southern Charm, right? Um, I, I like in this clip that, that Kristen in particular says, you know, that our friends in the Midwest, they're set with their careers and their families and that sort of thing. So again, we get this location-specific sort of thing that's happening. Um, but I also like this clip because we see the roles a little reserved here, uh, reversed here. And so Tom is saying, you know, in five years, we'll be married, we'll be having children. Like, he's ready to move into adulthood, whereas Kristen is saying, in five years, I just want to be famous. Um, and here we are all these, these years later, and Tom is still sort of in the same position, right? He would be married and have children with Ariana. Now, it seems like, um, whereas... Uh, Ariana is more about career and, and, and sort of putting off kids and family. So do you think the, the are the women on Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm displaying a kind of extended adolescence? Um, and how do they compare to their male counterparts? So one of the things that I think sometimes gets lost in this conversation about extended adolescence is that some folks actually trace this new phenomenon to the outcome of the feminist movement. Right. The argument is that because of feminism, we have middle class women, women entering into the workplace um, and that the more that these women are working. Right. This is leading to the postponement of marriage and child rearing. And so a couple of things are, happen as a result of this. Right. There's first there's no longer this sense of urgency for men to move toward getting a good job, to start a career because they'll have to provide for their family. Now there's more often the presumption that both partners uh, in the relationship will be working. Um, the other thing that came out of the feminist movement, of course, is the sexual revolution and birth control. And so this has had a profound effect on women, but also on men, because now, right, there are men who um, see women as wanting to be sexually active. Uh, and so they are free again to postpone getting married and postpone having children because you don't need, if there's no, you don't need a real job, right? You just need to make some money somehow. Um, there's no reason for marriage or a serious relationship if sex is really what you want. And so we see this kind of playing out, I think, in some interesting ways, particularly on Southern Charm. We've kind of talked about this juxtaposition of the men with the women. So you have the women who are um, very serious about their career, even if that means not necessarily being ready for marriage, right, but putting their careers first. And then in, in contrast to that, you have men who are very clearly saying, I, what I'm passionate about is freedom. I like leisure. Um, why would you want to get married? Who wants to get married? Shep has said repeatedly that he thinks monogamy is dead, that the future is that no one will be in these monogamous relationships. Um, so you see that sort of operating on Southern Charm in these clearly gendered ways. I think on Vanderpump Rules, the women are a bit more similar to the men in terms of um, none of them really having any sort of a, a 
serious job unless you consider being on a reality television show um, a good career trajectory. Um, In some cases, they seem to be interested in marriage and others really not at all. So I think it more so that the women and men on Vanderpump Rules are kind of experiencing um, extended adolescence in a similar way. Um, And that could be also part of just being in L.A. where everything feels like a party. Um, whereas in, in Charleston, right, there's a, there's more sense, I think of family, right? We, we meet, um, the Southern charm cast family a lot more. We, ha- we understand their sisters and their brothers and their parents, right? There's, um, a sort of a different vibe to the two settings of the show. Yeah. Tom, everybody on Vanderpump Rules comes from somewhere else. Everyone is, on Southern right. charm lives with their, or lives very close to their family. Yeah. Right, and I think in that way, Van, you know, Vanderpump Rules and most of the LA-based shows are in some ways very consistent with, you know, LA, for example, you know, we know is a city of, of, of um, people coming and going, trying to be in the business. So I would agree with that. The only show that I can think of that's any different is Shaz the Sunset. That's really mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. people making it big, but like... But then they're all, they have their family here, which yeah. is very, even more interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also the, the immigrant narrative to that, right? So yeah. most of them have parents who came over with no money to make a better life. And that's a very different kind of perspective. I thought about that even with um, Southern Charm, that you have Matul, the only person of color who Cameron, bless her heart, called exotic. Um, <laughs> but bless her he heart. Seems to, bless her heart. He seems to bring a very different sort of narrative to the show. Um, in terms of he doesn't go out late. If he's on call, he doesn't drink. It's a very different approach to um, adulthood. And how that makes everybody uncomfortable. Like even Naomi, to a certain degree, is uncomfortable with knowing the right thing to say or not to say and like failing miserably by saying things like, Matul is so exotic, or he is such a sexy Indian god, I think is what Cameron called him at one time. Well, and then Patricia said the most beautiful people she's ever seen are Indian. Yeah. <laughs> like, the racism is just falling out of their mouths. Yeah. and just completely uncommented upon. Mm-hmm. And it's like fascinating, too, because when you went to the skeet shooting part, party that they had and Mm -hmm. Ashley makes her appearance I think it's Craig he gets so uncomfortable that he looks at the wait staff who are all black and he's like I'm going to pretend that I'm talking to you guys so that I'm out of this (laughs) right but it's like well you're not even you are actually talking to them at this moment but that this that the labor then of keeping Craig out of the Ashley drama is then offset on these people of color who are they're at that party to be serving these obnoxious white wealthy people. I'm right. Not, I'm not right. going to actually have a conversation with you and treat you like a human being. I'm gonna like <laughs> just try to get out of this awkward situation and, and and mouth a real conversation to you. Well and also that Craig thinks that Matul is a terrible boyfriend for these things, right? Like a good boyfriend wouldn't have to work in the morning and would, would want to come to this party with you. Right. In his mind, that makes Matul a bad boyfriend, a bad partner. Yeah. Craig is special. (laughs) (laughs) He's touched. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Um, your book, the culture of mean representing bullies and victims in popular culture is the first sustained feminist critique of the contemporary bullying narrative in media um and 
we've sort of touched on bullying as a theme with um, the characters, the Southern Charm, and a little bit Vanderpump Rules. Um, what can you say about bullying on Bravo? Who are the most responsible for perpetuating bullying on the shows that you watch? Um, so well, I should say that I'm, I'm generally sort of critical of the ways in which we've started to talk about bullying as a, as a culture, um, that it seems sort of common sense to view bullying as wrong and dangerous. But what gets lost in that is that not all aggression is bullying. Um, and as a result, especially when we're talking about kids, my book looks at um, sort of high school uh, representations of bullying. Um, it becomes difficult to differentiate between healthy conflict and unhealthy torment, right? And there is, of course, such a thing as healthy con- uh, healthy conflict. Um, I think people are way too quick to leave, label mean behavior as bullying. But I also think what happens far too often is that um, behavior that is grounded in racism or homophobia, for example, gets labeled as bullying. And I think that's a real cop-out that we need to be calling things racism and, and homophobia and not bullying. Um, and then the other thing that I think often gets dropped out of this conversation is how important power dynamics are when it comes to bullying. So by definition, a bully intimidates or harms those who are less powerful, right? But there's this trend in contemporary culture, I think, where those in power tap into the cachet of victimhood by claiming that they are victims of bullying, right? So the one of the examples I talk about in my book is that when North Carolina passed their AP2 law, which requires that people use the bathroom that corresponds to the sex on their birth certificate, um, Bruce Springsteen canceled a concert to protest the law. And the uh, Republican uh, representative, Mark Walker, claimed that this was a bully tactic, right? So here you have this um, white, heterosexual, cisgendered uh, politician claiming that he's being bullied, right, by, by um, Bruce Springsteen. So I think you get a lot of the... the uh, the more detailed ways we want to think about bullying gets lost often. So so I say this because I think it's also important to remember that bullying is a learned behavior, right? That studies show that most bullies have been bullied. Um, so I, using myself as an example, I was definitely bullied as a kid, but I'm sure there are all sorts of other folks that you could find who would say that I bullied them. It's not this sort of clear-cut, right, bully-victim dichotomy that we like to think about it. I think when we think about someone like Ramona on New York, who does a lot of bullying, um, but then this season we find out that she was um, extremely abused growing up as a child, right? So these are learned behaviors. Um, I think we see bullying happening quite a bit from the OGs. So we get Ramona or we get Vicky anytime that there is a, a new woman who comes into the show. That to me does meet this kind of, definition of bullying and that these are brand new women um, on the cast. Obviously, people like Ramona and Vicky have far more power. They are exerting that power in a way that is diminishing perhaps things like screen time, right? So when um, Ramona basically tells Barbara, no, you're not invited to come out with me and Tinsley, right? Those are the kinds of clear bullying behaviors that are happening. Um, I think Shep is generally a, a pretty terrible bully. Um, he really very clearly uh, bases his bullying on his class status, which actually um, is a common understanding of mean girl behavior, particularly in popular culture, right? That it's the rich mean girl who is bullying poor 
uh, girls, and we see this a lot with chefs calling Madison white trash and so forth. Um, and then I also wrote an a book chapter on um, season one of Vanderpump Rules, in particular looking at Stasi. Um, but that to me is also kind of a, uh, an interesting narrative. So as you may remember, the season begins, she and Jax are in a relationship. Um, she finds out through Frank, the bartender, that Jax got a girl pregnant in Vegas, breaks up with her, breaks up with him, and Kristen and Katie take Jax's side. So there's this real splintering that happens, right? So Stassi is framed as a bully. And then she kind of becomes the victim of, of them kind of excluding her. Um, and so we see that the ways in which these roles can kind of shift. Uh, a little known fact about Stassi is that she was actually um, on a TV show years ago called Queen Bees. Oh, was this uh, after was, her run on The Amazing Race? It was after The Amazing Race, yes. So uh, my dissertation work was on representations of girl bullying and pop culture. And there was this show, Queen Bees, I think it was on Nick at Night, um, in which they invited these eight girls to L.A. And they thought they were going to be in a Biggest Diva contest. And when they got there, uh, the host basically said, surprise, your friends and family nominated you because they think you're mean girls. And we're going to now try to make you nice. So you can imagine wow. how this went over with Stassi. Yeah, <laughs> they're all like 18 years old. And so um, over the series of several weeks, there are challenges that they're, you know, you're supposed to become nice and move up the chain and all of this. Anyway, Stassi came in last place. <laughs> she was <laughs> the least redeemable of all of the mean girls on the show. So, wow. <laughs> um, so I had written this chapter all about, about Queen Bees. And then a friend of mine was putting together this anthology on the Housewives and said, do you want to submit something? And I said, no, you know, I really stick to sort of adolescence age range and and that night Vanderpump Rules premiered and I said oh my god that is Stassi <laughs> right being framed in very much the same way in this sort of mean girl um, behavior so if you remember this is when she had found out that Sheena had had sex with a married man and was very much icing her out she talks about getting people to quit by being mean to them right so I think um while there's been some redemption of that mean girl narrative for her, I do think that those three in particular, Katie and Kristen and Stassi, kind of operate as this kind of mean clique of girls mm -hmm. um, that can that can come across as very much bullying. Yeah, I mean, the way that um, they went after Lala when she first came into yeah. the group, um, and Katie in particular, I thought was just completely horrible to her calling her a whore and then like justifying that as if it was like part of like a broader feminist critique that she was making right. by calling her a whore. and then as soon as she was allowed to fly on the pj then uh, all bets right then lala is cool and everything but yeah i i i think i might also be in in a, a small percentage of people who actually tends to feel a little sorry for james kennedy and the way that that group treats him i think I don't know why he continues to come back and sort of beg for their friendship, but it is the ultimate to me example of um, exclusion and you can't sit with us, uh, right, as, as bullying behavior. I, I completely agree. I mean, James is horrible, but the way <laughs> that he is sort of isolated and ostracized and his decision to, like, bring you into his family dynamic and, like... Ugh his mother <laughs> like whoa um yeah that um 
his dad, yeah, he has become a much more sympathetic character on the show. Than, and, no question. And then on top of that, to have somebody like Katie and Kristen and Stasi market their bullying through their witch Sabuiho wine, right? Like the whole name is based on them being witches. Yeah. And like horrible to people. And then delay, yeah. So on this whole thread of Vanderpump rules, Billy Lee recently quit working at Sir and she quit the show, citing bullying and the lack of support that she was receiving as the reasons why. Um, during the last reunion, Lisa and the rest of the cast were determined to prove that they were great allies, yet there's been so many moments where we've seen that they are really not. And so I was wondering what your thoughts were on Billy Lee's experience on Vanderpump Rules and the treatment she received from her castmates. Was this what you would call bullying? I, I am not sure that I can say that what Billy experienced is bullying because there would need to be this kind of, it would need to be happening over and over again, right? More than one example. And the major instance that we got last season was um, her being left out of the girls' night in um, events or event planning. So I don't know if it's bullying or conflict. I will say this, though. The idea that the rest of the cast are allies is absolutely laughable, right? So, um we have this season on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Lisa makes the transphobic joke about Erica tucking. Um, Jack tweeted uh, that he invited, quote, every gay person to his wedding except Billy. Well, of course, Billy's not gay, right? Um, so we have these ongoing homophobic slurs, right, that are happening that clearly indicate that that someone is not being an ally for me as an ally one of one of my jobs is to listen right and so what what really sent me over the edge last season was i thought billy was actually quite clear in explaining why her feelings were hurt about being left out of girls night in and how this was bringing up for her um long long-standing issues about never feeling like she was a girl never being included um, as a girl in girl events, right? And here it is happening again. I mean, that to me was what made total sense. And I was very empathetic in that reason, in that moment. Of course, what then happens is that all of the women, um, Vanderpump, Lala, Katie, become extremely defensive. So they're not listening at all. And basically telling this trans woman, um, you're wrong, right? You don't understand your feelings about this situation. Um, are somehow not important, don't matter, right? Like what I'm doing is is what matters and what I'm doing is right, which to me is also reflective of like, they seem to be indicating that they're allies because they participate in gay pride. Um, but they participate in gay pride by getting up on a, as participating in the parade, right? So they get up on this float, literally making this event about themselves. Well, in this right? last year, it was they did an '80s theme for Gay Pride, right. and they were like, "Oh, and we love the '80s," but again, it was this like crickets on the AIDS epidemic right. from the '80s. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, there's to me, there is nothing uh, uh, that any of them has done to indicate to me that they're any sort of an ally. Well, and, and it was and- also this moment that was so weird, right? Because they hired that super anti-LGBT um, pastor for 
the wedding mm. for Jackson and Brittany. Mm-hmm. And they eventually mm-hmm. had to fire them, couldn't find anybody else. So it's like, okay, Lance Bass, our new officiant, doesn't this show how supportive we are of LGBT culture as if now Lance Bass has to stand in as this figure for everybody too? That's exactly right. I can't possibly be a homophobe. I let a gay man marry me. So I have a different question in in uh, relationship to allyship, and that is to look at feminism. Do you consider mm. the Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm women as feminists? Um, I try very hard not to determine other people's feminism. Um, I think that people need to self-identify as feminists first before I can sort of put that label on them. But I think this gets so complicated because, like, what is a feminist, right? There's no one way to determine feminism. Um, Lala, I love that Lala loves to call herself a feminist. There's a lot of what she does that I don't necessarily see as feminist behavior. But um, in Roxane Gay's book, That Feminist, she talks about, like, can I still be a feminist if I listen to this misogynistic hip hop music or if I enjoy giving blowjobs, right? Like there's no checklist about what makes someone a feminist. Um, Do you think that they would, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I think that one thing that we can say for sure is that if there is feminism operating and I can point to some clear examples that I do see as sort of feminist, this is a very white middle-class feminism, Right. There is a complete lack of any sort of intersectionality um, in in female empowerment, if you will, on these shows. I will say that there is these moments where I feel like, at least on on um, Vanderpump Rules, that Ariana might mm-hmm. get it in a different, or maybe expresses it in a different way from some of her other castmates. Mm-hmm. Right, that Ariana is this person. Um, that I mean, she also seems to be a little bit more aware of allyship too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like if you look at the cast on Vanderpump Rules and Southern Charm, even within the cast, it seems like what they think of as like a woman-centered consciousness or politics might even be different amongst the individuals. I think definitely, definitely. I, I also think that. Um, Cameron's sort of honesty about not being sure that she wanted to have children and then talking about that it's boring a lot and that um, that breastfeeding is very difficult, right? I think having these open conversations about motherhood and not deifying it in some way is actually a fairly feminist way to talk about motherhood. The fact that she really wa- wants to go back to work, that she wants to be bringing in her own money, right? This to me are sort of glimpses of feminism that we're getting. Um, can I circle back to you, one of your favorite Bravo, Le- Bravo celebrities and talk about Dorinda in some ways? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because many people might not see her as a feminist, but I see her as in some ways the most grounded, the most kind of, she doesn't necessarily engage in mean girl behaviors, but she owns, she does tr- sometimes own what, what she's talking about. But in some ways I see her at least having a working definition or, or, or knowing what feminism is and is not whether or not she subscribes mm-hmm. to it. Um, mm-hmm. That's just my kind of throw-in of where we can see it across franchises. Do you think that we can see um, feminism in other casts or across franchises or lack thereof of feminism? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree about Dorinda, right? Dorinda is also someone, one of the few, I think, who's been very vocal about her politics. So um, she talks about voting for Hillary Clinton. She talks about 
um, participating in the Women's March, right? So we see that kind of political stuff sprinkled over her. Um, I, I would argue that Bravo even showing female friendship, like genuine female friendship, is a feminist move on its own. I think it's far more often that we see narratives that are built around women being jealous of one another, women fighting over a man, right? That kind of a thing. So the idea that these are shows that are built around um, women and their friendships together, I think is feminist in its own right. I mean, Um, it was so sweet when Carol and Dorinda went to London together. Yes. Right. And they, and they had that arc of what it was like to all of a sudden become these companions in their lives as widows. Right. In grief. Mm -hmm. Companions in grief. Right. Yeah. That they created even a new space for them to grieve that they didn't necessarily have with other female friendships. Right. And I'm thinking about Dorinda and how she then relates to to Bethany. Right. I mean, she's Mm -hmm. the only one that kind of pulled Bethany aside and said, listen, this is normal, but you're a mess. And so I'm here for you. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that I, I like this analysis that it provides a space for different kinds of female friendships. I think Dorinda's relationship with John could be read as fairly feminist as well. That's right? where she, I was going to go. Yeah. She's been very <laughs> clear that, you know, yes, she likes her separate life. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that one of the themes this 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 year? People were asking what's happening with them as a couple. And she she likes where she is right now. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, while I would never call Ramona a feminist, she in the early seasons talked a lot about raising Avery, her daughter, to understand that she needed to have her own job, that she needed to make her own money um, because she had grown up with a mother who was sort of unable to escape this abusive relationship because she was tethered to her father as a result of um, not working and not having any money. Um so I, I definitely think there's feminism that, that's sprinkled throughout. Well, and it's really interesting with Ramona because uh, she was constantly screaming at Bethany a few seasons ago about how she didn't support other women, right? right? The right. Carol's last season. But the funny thing about that was that that was the season where Bethany was taking frequent trips to Puerto Rico for relief work. So mm-hmm. in one scene, you have Ramona screaming at Bethany about how she doesn't know how to support other women and she's so hateful and awful to women. But then we see Bethany literally just giving, you know, money and aid to these women and children in Puerto Rico. So it's this weird moment where, oh, it's almost like Ramona's complaint is that Bethany isn't doing enough to support, you know, the wealthy white women in New York, right? Because Bethany's right. clearly on the ground, you know, <laughs> right. when like U.S. relief is not even in Puerto Rico, right? But she is the person that is making sure that these kids and these mothers can eat. Right, and that's definitely a, a more um, authentic than, and then having these situations where the conversation is, are you going to show up to my party? I do appreciate right. when they do have, um, you know, um, anti, uh, you know, dom- domestic violence workshops or, or dinners. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about um, one of the seasons in Beverly Hills when Taylor shared her experience. They've done that on Atlanta mm-hmm. and, and New Jersey as well. And the women are sure to show also. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do like those moments where they are, they are, um, in, in one respect, showing up for one another. What happens behind the scenes or, or when the mic is on and someone gets in a fight with someone, that's 
a different story, but I do appreciate the fact that when there is some some political activism, that they know they're supposed to show up for these events. Well, and I think we're starting to see even more of that political activism. At, at least it appears, and I hope it continues. Right. So, um, married to medicine, whenever they go on vacation, they spend at least a day um, giving out free. Uh, medical treatment to the locals of wherever it is that they are vacationing. Um, we saw uh, Potomac this season go down to New Orleans and actually get into a plantation and talk about issues of slavery. Um, so it seems like there are some of this. I mean, it's, it's of course notable that both of those casts are predominantly uh, black as well, but it does seem as though there's some of this that's starting to kind of enter into um into the shows in a way that is almost um, jarring when you then put it against a show like Southern Charm that seems to be so grounded and just partying and having fun. So, Emily, can you tell us what's next for you? What are you working on? How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your work and what you do? Um, So my interest, as I said, is in representations of adolescents um, in popular culture. And so I think that the ways in which um, teenagers and adolescents are represented in, in popular culture can help us to access, like, what sort of cultural concerns do we have about teens and what um, kinds of issues are being raised. Um, and so as a result, one of my recent projects is that I'm working on um, the media treatment of the Michelle Carter case. So Michelle Carter was the Um, 17-year-old girl in Massachusetts who was eventually convicted of involuntary manslaughter um, in the suicide of her 18-year-old boyfriend. And I'm curious about um, what I'm seeing as sort of a pattern of the um, vilification and criminalization of women's communication. Um, So um, literally putting someone into jail, for example, for a text message that they've sent. So that's something that I'm working on now. Um, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Prof, P-R-O-S, Riles, R-Y-A-L-L-S as in Sam. Um, and I am a professor at Cal Poly, so you can always hit me up uh, via Cal Poly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. As always, you can uh, reach out to us at our Twitter at historiansh or at historiansonhousewives.com where you can send us questions or just your general feedback. Remember, if you want to write in a question, we can always address it at the end of the show and read your question on the podcast. Um, If you go to our website, you can also propose your own episode topic. Maybe you want to write a blog post. Uh, So check it out. We are also now downloadable and streamable on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. So you can find our podcast there. Um, In addition to, um, if you don't use any of those platforms, you can download our podcast directly from historiansonhousewives.com. Thank you so much to Emily Riles. This show was brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Christina Hinkle, Christina Gambrapore, Judd Merlaski, Pete Murray, Cody Baker, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, 
Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, Kim Bettendorf, and Louis Osio de Dios. And remember, scholars do bravo too. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.